Volume One, Chapter Two of the Old Manor House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Old Manor House by Charlotte and the Smith. Volume One, Chapter Two. The confidential servant, or rather companion and female de charge of Mrs. Rayland was a woman of nearly her own age the name of leonard this person who was as well as her mistress a spinster had been well educated and was the daughter of a merchant who lost the fruits of a long course of industry in the fatal year seventeen twenty he died of a broken heart leaving his two daughters who had been taught to expect high affluence to the mercy of the world Mrs. Rayland, whose pride was gratified in having about her the victim of unsuccessful trade, for which she had always a most profound contempt, received Mrs. Leonard as her own servant. She was, however, so much superior to her mistress in understanding, that she soon governed her entirely, and while the mean pliability of her spirit made her submit to all the contemptuous and unworthy treatment with the paltry pride of Mrs. Rayland had pleasure in inflicting, she secretly triumphed in the consciousness of superior abilities, and knew that she was in fact the mistress of the supercilious being whose wages she received. Every year she became more and more necessary to Mrs. Rayland, who, after the death of both her sisters, made her not only governess of her house, but her companion. Her business was to sit with her in her apartment when she had no company, to read the newspaper, to make tea, to let in and out the favourite dogs, a task of combining and washing them was transferred to a deputy, to collect and report at due seasons intelligence of all that happened in the neighbouring families, to give regular returns of the behaviour of all the servants, except the old butler and the old coachman, who had each a jurisdiction of their own to take special care that the footmen and helpers behaved respectively to the maids who were all chosen by herself and exhibited such a group as secured better than her utmost vigilance this decorous behaviour from the male part of the family to keep the keys and to keep her mistress in good humour with herself and as much as possible at a distance from the rest of the world above all from that part of it who might interfere with her present and future views, which certainly were to make herself amends for the former injustice of fortune, by securing to her own use a considerable portion of the great wealth possessed by Mrs. Rayland. Of the accomplishment of this she might well entertain a reasonable hope, for she was some few years younger than her mistress, though she artfully added to her age whenever she had occasion to speak of it and was besides of a much better constitution possessing one of those frames where a good deal of bone and no flesh seemed to defy the gripe of disease the sister of this mrs leonard had experienced a very different destiny she had been taken at the time of her father's misfortunes into the family of a nobleman she had married a chaplain and retired with him on a small living where she died in a few years leaving several children, among others a daughter to whom report imputed uncommonly beauty, and scandal a too intimate connection with the noble patron of her father, 
certain it is that on his marriage he gave her a sum of money and she married a young attorney who was a kind of steward by whom she had three children of which none survived their parents but a little girl born after her father's death and whose birth occasioned that of the mother to this little orphan her great-aunt mrs leonard who with all her starched prudity had a considerable share of odd romantic whim in her composition had given the dramatic and uncommon name of monomia such at least was the history given in mrs rayland's family of an infant girl which at about four years old had been by the permission of her patroness taken as it was said from nurse at a distant part of a country and received by mrs leonard at rayland hall where she at first never appeared before the lady but by accident but was the inhabitant of the housekeeper's room and under the immediate care of the still room-maid who was a person much devoted to mrs leonard mrs leonard had an aversion to children and had consented to the admission of this into her house on no other condition but that she should never hear it cry or ever have any trouble about it her companion easily engaged for that as rayland hall was so large that less infants troves at paris might have been the inhabitants of one of its wings without alarming a colony of ancient virgins at the other the little monomia though she was described as having been the child of misery baptized in tears langhorn was not particularly disposed to disturb by infinite expressions of distress the chaste and silent solitudes of the hall for though her little fair countenance had at times something of a melancholy cast there was more of sweetness than of sorrow in it and if she ever shed tears they were so mingled with smiles that she might have sat to the painter of the seasons for the representative of infant april her beauty however was not likely to recommend her to the favour of her aunt's affluent patroness but as to recommend her was the design of mrs leonard she saw that a beauty of four or five years old would be much less obnoxious than one of fifteen or even nine or ten and therefore she contrived to introduce her by degrees that when she grew older her charms by being long seen might lose their power to offend she contrived that mrs rayland might first see the little orphan as by chance then she sent her in when she knew her mistress was in good humour with a basket of fruit an early pine some preserves in brandy or something or other which was acceptable to her lady's palate and on these occasions monimia acquitted herself to a miracle and presented her little offering and made her little curtsy with so much innocent grace that hetiquette in the midst of her rights might have suspended her inclinations to have admired her at six years old she had so much won upon the heart of mrs rayland that she became a frequent guest in the parlour and saved her aunt the trouble of opening the door for bella and pompney and julie from the tenderness of her nature she became an admirable nurse for the frequent litters of kittens with which two favourite cats continually increased the family of her protectress and the numerous daily applications from robins and sparrows under the windows were never so well attended to as since monomia was entrusted with the care of answering their demands 
but her name monomia was an incessant occasion of reproach why said mrs rowland why would you leonard give the child such a name as the girl will have nothing why put such romantic notions in her head as may perhaps prevent her getting her breed honestly monomia i protest i don't love even to repeat the name it puts me so in mind of a very hateful play which i remember shocked me so when i was a mere girl that i have always detested the name monomia tis so very unlike a christian's name that if the child is much about me i must insist on having her called mary to this mrs leonard of course consented excusing herself for the romantic impropriety of which her lady accused her by saying that she understood monomia signified an orphan a person left alone and deserted and therefore had given it to a child who was an orphan from her birth but that as it was displeasing she should at least never be called so the little girl then was merry in the parlour but among the servants and with the people around the house she was still monomia among those who fondly adhered to her original name was orlando who then he first became a frequent visitor as a schoolboy at the hall stole often into the still room to play with the little girl who was three years younger than himself and insensibly grew as fond of her as one of his sisters mrs leonard always checked this innocent mirth and when she found it impossible wholly to prevent two children who were in the same house from playing with each other she took every possible precaution to prevent her ladies ever seeing them together and threatened the severest punishment to the little monomia if she at any time even spoke to master somerive when in the presence of mrs rayland but nothing could be so irksome to a healthy and lively child of nine or ten years old as the sort of confinement to which monomia was condemned in consequence of her admission to the parlour where she was hardly ever suffered to speak but sat at a distant window where whether it was winter or summer she was to remain no otherwise distinguished from a statue than by being employed in making the household linen and sometimes in spinning it with a little wheel which mrs rayland who procured herself upon following the notable maxims of her mother had brought for her and at which she kept her closely employed when there was no other work to do when any company came then and only she was dismissed but this happened very rarely and many many hours poor monomia vainly prayed for the sight of a coach or chaise at the end of the long avenue which was to her the blessed signal of a transient liberty her dress the expense of which mrs rayland had graciously took upon herself was such as indicated to all who saw her at once the charity and prudence of her patroness who repeatedly told her visitors that she had taken the orphan niece of her old servant leonard not with any view of making her a gentlewoman but to bring her up to get her breed honestly and therefore she had directed her to be dressed not in gauzes and flounces like the flirting girls she saw so tawdry at church but in a plain stuff not flaring without a cap which she thought monstrously indecent for a female at any age but in a plain cap and a clean white apron that she might never be encouraged to vanity by any kind of finery that did not become her situation 
Monomia, though dressed like a parish girl, or in a way very little superior, was observed by the visitors who happened to see her, and to whom this harangue was made to be so very pretty that nothing could conceal or diminish her beauty. Her dark stuff gown gave new lustre to her lovely complexion, and her thick muslin cap could not confine her luxuriant dark hair. Her shape was symmetric itself, and her motion so graceful that it was impossible to behold her even attached to her humble employment at the wheel, without acknowledging that no art could give what nature had bestowed upon her. Orlando, who had loved her as a playfellow while they were both children, now began to feel a more tender and more respectful affection for her, though unconscious himself that it was her beauty that awakened the sentiments. On the last of his holidays, before he entirely left school, the vigilance of Mrs. Leonard was redoubled, and she so contrived to combine Monomia that their romping was at an end, and they hardly ever saw each other, except by mere chance, at a distance, or now and then at dinner, when Monomia was suffered to dine at table, an honour which she was not always allowed, but which Mrs. Leonard cautiously avoided entirely suspending when Orlando was at the hall as there was nothing she seemed to dread so much as alarming Mrs. Rayland with any idea of Orlando's noticing her niece. This, however, never happened at that time to occur to the old lady, not only because Mrs. Leonard took such pains to lead her imagination from any probability, but because she considered them both as mere children and Monomia as a servant. It was, however, at this time, that a trifling incident had nearly awakened such suspicions and occasioned such displeasure as it would have been very difficult to have subdued or appeased. Mrs. Rayland had long been confined by a fit of the gout, and the warm weather of Whitsuntide had only just enabled her to walk, leaning on a crutch on one side and on Mrs. Leonard on the other, in the long gallery which reached the whole length of the south wing and which was hung with a great number of family pictures. Mrs. Rayland had peculiar satisfaction in relating the history of the heroes and dames of her family, who were represented by these portraits. Sir Roger de Calvary never went over the account of his ancestors with more correctness or more delight. Indeed, the reflections of Mrs. Rayland were uninterrupted by any of those little blemishes in the history of her prognators, that somewhat bewildered the good knight, for she boasted that not one of the Rayland family had ever condescended to degrade himself by trade, and that the marriage of Mrs. Somerive, her aunt, was the only instance in which a daughter of the Raylands had stooped to an inferior alliance. The little withered figure bent down with age and infirmity and the last of a race which she was thus arrogantly boasting, a race which in a few years, perhaps a few months, might be no more remembered, was a ridiculous instance of human folly and human vanity, at which Leonard had sense enough to smile internally, while she affected to listen with interest to stories which she had heard repeated for near forty years. It was in the midst of her attention to an antidote which generally closed the relation of a speech made by Queen Anne to the last Lady Rayland on her having no son, that a sudden and violent bounce towards the middle of the gallery 
occasioned an interruption of the story and equal amazement in the lady and her confidant who both turning around not very nimbly indeed demanded of monimia who had been sitting in one of the old-fashioned bow-windows of which the casement was open what was the matter monimia covered with blushes and in a sort of scuffle to conceal something within her feet replied hesitating and trembling that she did not know mrs leonard who probably guessed the truth declared loudly that she was immediately find out but it was not the work of a moment to seat her lady safely on one of the eleven settees while she herself hastened to the window to discover if possible who had from the court below thrown in the something that had thus alarmed them before she reached the window therefore the court was clear and monimia had recovered from her confusion and went on with her work mrs leonard now thought proper to give another turn to the incident she said it must have been some accidental noise from the wainscot cracking in dry weather though i could have sworn at the moment cried she that something very hard like a stone or a stick had been thrown into the room however to be sure i must have been mistaken for certainly there is nobody in the court and really one does recollect hearing in this gallery very odd noises which if one were superstitious might sometimes make one uneasy many of the neighbours some years ago used to say to me that they wondered i was not afraid of crossing it of a night by myself when you ma'am used to sleep in the worked bedchamber and i lay over the housekeeper's room but i used to say that you had such an understanding that i should offend you by showing any foolish fears and that all the noble family that owned this house time out of mind were such honourable persons that none of them could be supposed likely to walk after their decease as the spirits of wicked persons are said to do but however they used to answer in reply to that that some of your ancestors ma'am had hid great sums of money and valuable jewels in this house to save it from the wicked rebels in the time of the blessed martyr and that it was to reveal these treasures that the appearances of spirits had been seen and strange noises heard about the house this speech was so exactly calculated to please the lady to whom it was addressed that it almost obliterated the recollection of the little alarm she had felt and blunted the spirit of inquiry with the twinges of the doubt also contributed to diminish unfortunately the arrival of the apocryphy who was that moment announced and whose visits were always a matter of importance left her no longer any time to interrogate monimia but mrs leonard having led her down to her great chair and seen her safely in conference with her physical friend returned hastily to the gallery where monimia still remained demurely at work and peremptorily insisted on knowing what it was that had bounced into the room and struck against the picture of sir hildebrand himself who in armour and on a white horse whose flanks were overshadowed by his stupendous wig pranced over the great gilt chimney-piece just as he appeared at the head of the country association in seventeen o seven monimia was a poor dissembler and had never in her life been guilty of a falsehood she was as little capable of disguising as of denying the truth 
and the menaces of her aunt frightened her into an immediate confession that it was mr orlando who passing through the court to go to the cricket in the park had seen her sitting at the window and not thinking any harm had thrown up his ball only in play to make her jump but that it had unluckily gone through the window and hit against the picture and what became of it afterwards angrily demanded mrs leonard it bounded answered the innocent culprit it bounded across the floor and i rolled it away with my feet under the chairs and how dared you exclaimed the aunt how dared you artful little hussy conceal the truth from me how dared you encourage any such abominable doings a pretty thing indeed to have happened suppose the good-for-nothing boy had hit my lady or me upon the head or breast as if it was a mercy he did not there would have been a fine story or suppose he had broke the windows shattered the panes and cuts us with the glass or what if he had beat the stained glass of my lady's coat of arms up at top there all to smash what do you think would have become of you you worthless little puss what punishment would have been bad enough for you my dear aunt said the weeping monomia how could i help it i am sure i did not know what mr orlando was going to do i saw him but i saw him but a moment before and you know that if i had known he intended to throw the ball up i dared not have spoken to him to have prevented it have spoken to him indeed no i think not and remember this girl that you have come off well this time and i shan't say anything of the matter to my lady but if i ever catch you speaking to that wicked boy or even daring to look at him i will turn you out of doors that moment and let this teach you that i am in earnest having thus said she gave the terrified trembling girl a violent blow or what was in her language a good box on the ear which forcing her head against the stone window frame almost stunned her she then repeated it on the lovely neck of her victim where the marks on her fingers were to be traced many days afterwards and then flounced out of the room and composing herself went down to give her share of information as to her lady's complaint to the apothecary the unhappy monomia who had felt ever since her earliest recollection the misery of her situation was never so sensible of it as this moment the work fell from her hands she laid her head on a marble slab that was on one side of the bow window and gave way to an agony of grief her cap had fallen from her head and her fine hair concealed her face which resting on her arms was bathed in tears sobs that seemed to render her heart were the only expression of sorrow she was able to utter she heard she saw nothing but was suddenly startled by something touching her hand as it hung lifelessly over the table she looked up and beheld with mingled emotions of surprise and fear orlando somerive who with tears in his eyes and in a faltering whisper conjured her to tell him what was the matter 
the threat so recently uttered yet vibrated in her ears and her terror lest her aunt should return and find orlando there was so great that without knowing what she did she started up and ran towards the door from whence she would have fled disordered as she was downstairs and through the very room where mrs rayland her aunt and the apothecary were in conference if orlando with superior strength and agility had not thrown himself before her and setting his back against the door insisted upon knowing the cause of her tears before he suffered her to sit gasping for breath trembling and articulately she tried to relate the effects of his indiscretion and that therefore her aunt had threatened and struck her orlando whose temper was naturally warm and whose generous spirit revolted from every kind of injustice felt at once his indignation excited by this act of oppression and his anger that mrs leonard should arraign him from a childish frolic and thence take occasion so unworthily to treat an innocent girl and be too rash to reflect on consequences he declared that he would go instantly into the parlour confess to mrs rayland what he had done and appeal against the triany and cruelty of her woman it was now the turn of poor monimia to entreat and implore she threw herself half frantic on her knees before him and besought him rather to kill her than to expose her to the terrors and distress such a step would inevitably plunge her into indeed dear orlando cried she you would not be heard against my aunt mr rayland if she forgave you would never forgive me but i should be immediately turned out of the house of disgrace and i have no friend no relation in the world but my aunt and i must beg my breed but it is not so much that added she while sobs broke her utterance it is not so much that i care for i am so unfortunate and it does not signify what becomes of me i can work in the fields or can go through any hardship but mrs rayland will be very angry with you and will not suffer you to come to the hall again and i shall never never see you any more this speech unguarded and simple as it was had more effect on orlando than the most studied eloquence he took the weeping trembling monomia up in his arms seated her in a chair and drying her tears he besought her to be comforted and to assure herself that whatever he might feel he would do nothing that should give her pain oh go then for heaven's sake go from hence instantly replied monimia if my aunt should come to look for me as it is very likely she will we should be both undone good god exclaimed orlando why should it be so why are we never to meet and what harm to any one is done by my friendship for you monimia alas answered she every moment more and more apprehensive of the arrival of her aunt alas orlando i know not i am sure it was once before my aunt was so enraged as it all the comfort i had in the world but now it is my greatest misery because i dare not even look at you when i happen to meet you yet i am sure i mean no hurt to anybody nor can it do my cruel aunt any harm that you pity a poor orphan who has no friend upon earth i will however 
replied he warmly, pity and love you too. Love you as well as I do any of my sisters, even the sister I love best. And I should hate myself if I did not. But dear Monomia, tell me, if I cannot see you in the daytime, is it possible for you to walk out of an evening when these old women are in bed? When I am not at the hall, they would suspect nothing, and I should not mind walking from home after our people are in bed to meet you for half an hour anywhere about these grounds. Ignorant of the decorum required by the world, and innocent even to infinite simplicity, as Monomia was, at the age of something more than fourteen, she had that natural rectitude of understanding that at once told her these clandestine meetings would be wrong. Ah, oh, no, Mr. Orlando, she said, sighing, that must not be, for if it should be known, it cannot, it shall not be known, cried he, eagerly interrupting her. But it is impossible, my good friend, if it were not wrong, for you remember that today is Saturday, and your school begins on Monday. Curse the school! I had indeed forgot it. Well, but promise me then, Monomia, promise me that you will make yourself easy now, and that when I come from school entirely, which I do at Christmas, we shall contrive to meet sometimes, to read together as we used to do, the fairy tales and Arabian nights last year and the year before. Will you promise me, Monomia? Monomia, whose apprehensions every moment increased, and who even fancied she heard the rustle of Mrs. Leonard's gown upon the private staircase that led down from the gallery, was ready to promise anything. Oh, yes, yes, Orlando, I promise. Do but go now, and we shall not perhaps be so unhappy. My aunt may not be so very ill-humoured when you come home again. And say you will not cry any more? I will not indeed, I will not, but for God's sake go. I am sure I hear somebody. There is nobody indeed, but I will go to make you easy. He then, trembling as much as she did, hastily kissed the hand he held, and gliding on tiptoe to the other end of the gallery, went through the apartments that led down the great staircase, and taking a circuit round another part of the house, entered the room where Mrs. Rayland was sitting, as if he had just come up from cricket in the park. He had not left the gallery a moment before Mrs. Leonard came to look for Monomia, whom she found in greater agitation than she had left here, and still drowned in tears. She again began in the severest terms to reprove her, as the sobs and sighs of the suffering girl deprived of answering her invectives. She violently seized her arm, and dragging rather than leading her to her own room, she bade her instantly undress and go to bed. That you may not, said she, expose your odious blubbered face. Poor Monomia was extremely willing to obey. She sat down and began to undress, listening as patiently as she could to the violent scolding which her indefatigable aunt still kept up against her, who, having at length exhausted her breath, bounced out and locked the door. Monomia then left alone again began to indulge her tears but her room was in a turret over a sort of lumber room where the gamekeeper kept his nets and his rods and where orlando used to deposit his bow his cricket bats and other instruments of sport with which he was indulged with playing in the park 
she now heard him come in with one of the servants for such an effect had his voice that she could distinguish it amid a thousand others and when it did not seem to be audible to any one else though she could not now distinguish the words she heard him discoursing as if he seemed to be bidding the place farewell for that time she got upon a chair for the long narrow windows were so far from the ground that she could not see through it as she stood and perceived orlando across the park on foot and slowly and reluctantly walked towards that park if it that was next to his father's house she continued to look at him till a wood through which she had to pass concealed him from her view she then retired to her bed and shed tears orlando left his home the next day for his last half-year at the school having that even taken leave of mrs rayland and it was six months before monimia saw him again End of volume one chapter two recording by elaine webb bristol england